Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Bibles and go to the book of Genesis. Begin the book of Genesis, chapter 35. This is 35 tonight, and we'll be reading verse number 1. The Bible says in Genesis 35, verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean, and change your garments. When I first came across that verse, this is Jacob we're talking about, the one that God would choose to carry on to build the nation of Israel. Why are there strange gods in his camp? Let's continue reading to verse number three. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and make thee there an altar unto God, and and, uh, who answered me, day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because their, uh, their God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bachuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Jacob said unto him, I am God Almighty. Well, there's a statement right there. I am God Almighty. In other words, listen, what I'm about to tell you needs to be taken seriously. Be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall be of, uh, be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins, and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from, in, from him in the place where he talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, and even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. Jacob called the name of the place where God spake unto him, Bethel. 
title of the message tonight is A Proper Burial. A Proper Burial. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to be in your house tonight and to be able to sing praises to your name. Father, now as we turn to your word, I ask that you would help us to understand the principles that you would want to, would want to teach us tonight. Father, put me aside. Use me for your glory. Help me to say exactly what you once said. Give me liberty to speak your truth, but hold back that which you do not once said. Father, I ask today, if there's someone in our midst that hasn't accepted Christ, today would be their day of salvation. Father, Father bless your people today. Help us to become closer to you as you have designed for us to be. Father, I ask this in your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. There's no substitute for the real thing. There was a man that went to the same restaurant every year for his birthday. Every year he went to this restaurant and he ordered himself the same exact thing. We went to the restaurant one particular year and just turned 40. So we ordered a whole lobster drenched in butter, crab cakes on the side, mashed potatoes, grilled cabbage. The waiter then went back to the, uh, to the kitchen, submitted his order. He sat at his table with anticipation of what was coming. He awaited his annual lobster dinner. The waiter then leaves the kitchen with his order. As she's approaching his table, <clears throat> his mouth is watering as he's thinking about sinking his teeth into this lobster. The waiter sets down the plate in front of him, only to have substituted the lobster with crawfish. We ran out of lobster, the waiter said. This was the next best thing. Now, I've never had crawfish, but I've had plenty of lobster. And I would not appreciate being served crawfish when I ordered lobster. At this point in history, the children of Israel have substituted God Almighty for idols. But before we get to the bulk of the message, let's do a little bit, let's go into the history a little bit. So we're in chapter 35, we've been going through this series since chapter 1 in the teen department, started uh, March of 2020. So we're now in Genesis 37, <clears throat> we just talked about Joseph, first message of Joseph this last Wednesday. But today we're in chapter 35, and at this point we're starting to see the transition from the focus being shifted from, jo from Jacob to his descendants, from Israel to the children of Israel, from Israel the man to Israel the people. <clears throat> at this point their numbers are limited. Jacob has expressed this concern in chapter 34. He says, we're few in numbers. We could easily be stamped out and wiped from the face of the earth because we're few. So, Jacob agrees as they come to Shechem in chapter 34, he agrees to the king there to be able to have some of the sons of Shechem marry the, his daughter, or the son of Shechem marry his daughter. And we have some of the sons of Jacob who he says can marry some of the daughters of Shechem. But the problem is the Shechem's, Shechemites, they were pagan. They believed in idolatry. 
It was not God's will for them to marry within the walls of Shechem. Jacob has made a mistake here time and time again. <clears throat> if we were to study the life of Jacob, I mean, some of the things you might even be surprised by, as we just read in verse number three or verse number two, we find out there is idolatry in their camp themselves. But God has shown himself faithful to Jacob, even when Jacob has not shown himself faithful to God. Because the faithfulness of God is never ending. The faithfulness of God is what we see in this passage of Scripture continually, time and time again. We see God's faithfulness. Verse number one, And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. So point number one, the faithfulness of God. Now, what he's referring to here is when Jacob fled Esau. Esau wanted Jacob dead. Jacob used his con artist skills to kind of dupe his brother and get the blessing that, was supposed, that, that Isaac wanted to give Esau. And even though God's plan was for Jacob to have it, Jacob went, against God, went contrary to God's word and was li lied and was deceitful in order to get it. <clears throat> so at this point, God has told him to flee. Or his, uh, his God is with him as he flees. So he goes to what now is called Bethel. Well, Bethel is Hebrew for the house of God. <clears throat> That's the definition, the house of God. So what is the significance behind Bethel? Well, Bethel is where God promised Jacob that God would be with Jacob. Jacob said, God, God, I will serve you if you'll take care of me. I will serve you if you'll provide for me. I will serve you if you bring me back safely to my father's house, even though my brother is still there. God has delivered on his part of the bargain. God has delivered on his promise. God has taken care of Jacob. And God has reconciled the relationship between Jacob and Esau. God is bringing Jacob back. And that is God's plan for Jacob, or now Israel. Because he has a plan for Jacob. He has a plan for the descendants of Jacob. God has and is doing everything he told Jacob that he would do. You know, God is a God that delivers. God is a God that does not break his promises. All of the children that God has... All of the churches that God has founded, all of the people that have gotten saved, God has made promises to them, and God does not, will not, has not broken his promises. God is a God that fulfills his promise because he is a faithful God. God is faithful to his people, even when we're not faithful to our God. God will always be faithful. It's not in his character to be unfaithful. He can't help but be faithful. He can't help but to come through on his promises. He can't help but to deliver. No matter how many times we feel like God isn't there, no matter how many times we feel like giving up, no matter how many times we feel like the enemy is constantly attacking us, God will not break his promises. And he will deliver on his promises every single time. All we have to do is trust. 
All we have to do is believe. Pastors talked about it this morning in Matthew chapter 6. I will take care of you. He was talking to his disciples. And they were worried. He says, I'm going to take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And everything that you're worried about, all these things, will be added unto you. The problem is, a lot of times we're seeking the solution rather than seeking the solution giver. We're seeking deliverance without seeking the deliverer. And we're trying to come up with all the solutions ourselves. Notice we have a response of obedience in verse number 3. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. In other words, God has come through for me. It's time that I come through for God and do exactly what I told God I was going to do. God has done what he said he was going to do. It's time for me to do what I said what I was going to do. How many times have we gotten on our knees and we've prayed, God, will you please take care of this situation? God, will you please answer my prayer? God, I have a friend that isn't saved. I have a family member that is, that is wayward and they need to come back. I have this financial issue. I have this emotional issue. God, will you take care of it? He takes care of it. And that's because we trusted that he would take care of it. But what about our part? God, I need you to take care of this, but I'm not going to do anything in return. I'm not going to do anything for you. No, he, he responded in obedience. He did exactly what God told him to do. Build an altar. He got everyone together and built an altar. They took this matter seriously. He tells all those in his tribe, all his descendants, all that are in his household, get rid of the false gods, change your clothes, in other words, take the matter seriously. This is a special occasion. This is a special event. That's the point. Take it seriously. Notice the first thing, though. He didn't build an altar first. He was getting people ready for the altar. He was getting people ready so they could go to the altar. In James chapter 4, verse 8, very familiar verse, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He tells them here to, be, to, to change, get rid of the idolatry, clean yourselves, change your clothes. What is God's concern with this matter of cleanliness? What, what is God's concern with the matter of purity? What is God's concern with this matter of holiness? Why do they need to clean themselves? Is God worried somehow that we would have a negative influence on him and that it would somehow corrupt God with our sin? Well, no, that is, that's an absurd notion. It's, it's an absurd thought. Well, then what is God concerned with? God is concerned, always has been concerned, always will be concerned with the cleanliness of his people for their own good. He's not worried that he would be corrupted. He's worried about our corruption. He's worried about our sin. So let's talk, let's consider James chapter 4 verse 8 since we're here. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. This is where a lot of Christians get it wrong. This is where a lot of churches get it wrong. 
oftentimes we think that I can live my life in a way that's contrary to God's word, but still somehow receive the blessings of God. I can still live my life contrary to, to holiness, and somehow still without consequence, I can have this great relationship with God. God has always been concerned about cleanliness. He's always been concerned about holiness. He's always been concerned about the sin that is in our lives. He took it so seriously that he died for it. This can be even be found in the way we do ministry. Look at pride. We're serving. <clears throat> so we're evangelizing. We can begin to focus more on ministry and love ministry more than God himself. Worried about the notches on our belt than what God has commanded us to do. Evangelist Jack Taylor was alone in his hotel room after a meeting one night. He felt exhausted in the ministry. He cried out to God in prayer, Lord, if I have seen everything you would have for me in my ministry... And take my life and let me die. The prayer was followed by silence. Taylor went to sleep, and the next morning, he awoke, hearing the, God, hearing the voice of God in his heart. Felt the Lord was saying to him, Jack, I have answered your prayer, and I am going to let you die to yourself. I have seen your ministry. Now I want to see, I want you to see what I can do. That moment of honesty with God changed his life and his ministry forever. It was never the same again. His ministry then became totally dependent on God. But if we're not careful, we can try to do it without God. And the worst thing you can do is try to do something for God without God. It takes God to do it. It takes his blessing to do it. There was a a young man, and he went up to his dad, and he said, Dad, can I have $20? And what do you need $20 for? He says, I need to buy you a birthday present. <laughs> so he gave him $20 so he could buy him a birthday present. The son needed the blessing of the father in order to bless the father. The son needed to depend on the father in order to bless the father. See, we got it backwards today. We expect God to form our religion around us rather than transforming our lives to be more like his. The Bible tells us to draw nigh to him. But he's not going to draw, draw nigh to sin. See, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to, to you. But if you're going to draw nigh to God, that means you. If you're truly drawing nigh to God, if you're truly taking a step in God's direction, you are taking a step away from sin. See, God is not going to come over here and fellowship with you and your sin. If you're drawing nigh to God, you are truly taking a step towards God and away from sin. But we expect God to let us live any way we want. Well, what about the world? I can reach the world better. If I act like the world, I can reach the world better if I, if, I, if, I, if I look like the world. Because we come across too judgmental and preachy and all this stuff. No, the end does not justify the means. God expects every Christian, every 
person that is his to be responsible for their own holiness. You're not responsible for somebody else. If you try to tell someone about Christ and they are turned off by the way you look or the way you act because it's the right thing to do, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus Christ. But Jacob tells all of the people that are in his camp, get rid of the idolatry, be clean, change your clothes, take this occasion seriously. We're going to meet with God. They then change their clothes, and in verse 4, they give him their earrings. Why did they give him their earrings? Well, this is often the tradition back then. See, with the significance of wearing a single earring rather than having two, those that wore a single earring usually meant that they were involved in idolatry because they would take the pair of earrings and they would put it on the idol and they would wear the other and that would be their connection to the idol. And they would have this, it's, it's not just about the idol, it's about the connection to the idol. It's how you've subjugated yourself to the idolatry. It's not about the iPhone, it's the connection that you have with the iPhone. It's not about the job, it's about the connection you have to the job. It's not about the house or the car, it's your connection that you have with those material things. So Jacob takes the matter seriously. So they gave him the idols, they gave him the earrings. Jacob takes the idols, and it says in verse 4 that he buries them under an oak, which is by Shechem. Now, there's four burials that takes place in this chapter. We have Deborah, the nurse, the handmaid. We have Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. We have Isaac, Jacob's father. And the fourth one is the idols. He buries the idolatry. What was the significance behind burying the idolatry? Well, in other words, they're dead to us. The funeral is a place to say goodbye. So they, they bury them. In other words, they're dead to us. They're never to be resurrected again. They're, they're, they're gone. We're not going to partake in them anymore. We're not going to give ourselves to them anymore. We're not going to subjugate ourselves to them anymore. They have no more rule over our lives. But the, the, the burial has been taken place. The idols are gone. The idolatry is gone. The connection is gone. The, the idol is just an inanimate object. What has to go is how we feel about the idol. What has to go is the subjugation to the idol. What has to go is the connection to the idol. In other words, they're dead to us. We can't be what God wants us to be. We can't do what God wants us to do. We can't win the people God wants us to win if we're so focused on things that are not him. Idolatry is a mix-up in priorities. Idolatry is putting something that is not God in God's place. Idolatry is anything that becomes more important to you than God. Anything you let rule in your life could be the snooze button on a Sunday morning. Could be watching the game instead of going out soul winning. 
Could be a spouse, could be your family. We love our families, but they don't take the place of God. It could be anything, fill in the blank. So what is it? What's in your life that God wants to move? What's in your life that God wants to bury? We won't be effective for God while those things are in our lives. We won't be able to do what he's called us to do. Imagine the potential that we would have in our lives if we would just submit ourselves to him and follow him. This morning we got to talking about, in Sunday school, about walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Romans chapter 8. What if we walked in the spirit and not the flesh? What if we gave ourselves over to God completely? called full surrender. We hear it all the time. We sing about it. I surrender all. We talk about it. It's preached about. But here is the question. Has it become a reality in our lives? Would you do anything for God? About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as the, <coughs> uh, the Assam was, co- uh, was uh, comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the Ameri- uh, <coughs> American Baptist Mission spreading the message of the gospel. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This faith proved contagious as many villagers accepted Christ. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith or face a public execution. Publicly renounce your faith or face a public execution. Moved by the Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered these archers to arrow down his two children. As both boys lay on the floor, the chief asks, Will you deny your faith? You've lost both your children. Will you lose your wife too? But he replied, Though no one joins me, Still, I will follow. The chief beside himself with fury and ordered that his wife be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her children in death. He asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. The face of death, the man said, this, this, this final memorable phrase, the cross before me, the world behind me, No turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who ordered the killings was moved by the man's faith. He couldn't believe it. He wondered, why should this man... His wife and two children die 
for this Jesus. There must be some remarkable power behind this faith. I want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard from the mouth of their chief, the entire village accepted Jesus Christ. This song is based on the last words of Nok Singh, who was a man of the tribes of India. Sometimes our own lives can be our idols. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I like to think I did what he did, but I don't know because I haven't been there. I'd like to think I'd have the faith that he did. Even on pain of death, the man put God before anything else. We don't do that today simply because it's an inconvenience. It's time for God's people to put away their idolatry and to follow God. Forsaking all others, God might be telling you to bury a relationship because it isn't godly. God might be telling you to stop looking at things online because they're immoral. God might be telling you to replace worldly music with godly music. God might be telling you to watch your mouth and stop gossiping. God might be telling you to put, to put fear aside and to trust in him. There's a big one. There's a huge idol, fear. We stand before the judgment. We see, we see Christ. I don't think fear will be an acceptable excuse. What did Jacob need to do in order for his household to be clean? He needed to treat idolatry as if it was dead. Today you might need to do some burying of your own. Maybe there is something in your life that God has spoken to you about, and it needs to be taken care of. It needs to be gotten rid of. Maybe you need to bury it. They didn't just bury it to bury it. They didn't just bury the idolatry and leave it there. They buried it to get rid of the connection that they had with it, to get rid of their feelings towards it, to get rid of the dependence on them. Maybe as pastor said this morning, it could be money. We're so focused on trying to save that dollar that it's causing us to put our faith in that and not in him. Maybe it could be a relationship put our trust in someone else. And can I tell you, people let you down. Eventually, people do. They can fail you. It happens. It's happened before. <clears throat> but there's one relationship that we have that cannot fail if we're walking in the Spirit, and that's the relationship that we have with God himself. <clears throat> there's been enough of this live my life how I want and expect God to bless me anyways. If you're going to meet with God, we need to be clean. We expect God to meet us on our terms. We need to meet him on his terms. Because God won't partake in our sin. He won't, he'll, he'll take us from it, but he won't, he won't partake with us there while we're there. He expects us to be 
more like himself. But it takes dependence on him and nothing else to do that. It doesn't matter how hard you try. The more effort isn't going to do it. Turning over a new leaf isn't going to do it. A New Year's resolution isn't going to do it. What's going to do it is putting our faith and our dependence on Jesus Christ. That's what's going to do it. If we're going to meet with God, we have to depend on God. When we do that, not only will we be in a right relationship with God, we'll be in a position where God will bless us and protect us. Because God is faithful. God's faithfulness is found in his leadership. Where our faithfulness is found in our fellowship. God's faithfulness is found in how he leads us. Our faithfulness to God is shown by how we follow. So are we following? Are we following him? Are we following ourselves? Are we following in our own reasoning? God gave me a brain. He gave me logic. He gave me understanding. Yes, but that is to be used, governed by God's leadership. Imagine what we could do in this city, in our church, in your life, in your family's life. Imagine what God would do if we learned to trust and to depend on him. But I'm just one person. I'm just one man. I'm just one woman. What can I do? Well, if you take one man <clears throat> that's disgruntled, if you take one man that's discouraged, if you take one man that isn't living for God, and you place him with a woman and they have a family, then you have a family that's disgruntled and not living for God. If you take that same family that's struggling, you put them in a church, then you have the influence of them in your church, then you have a church that will begin to see that and some others in the church will begin to struggle. Then you take that church and you put it in a community, you have a struggling church in a community that isn't depending on God and now you have a community that isn't being reached like it should. So therefore that community is disgruntled and struggling. You have that community and you put it in a state. You have that state, you put it in a country. You have that country and you put it in the world. <clears throat> you do make a difference. You can make a difference. Jacob led his family in this way. Where he, put, he put into action what Joshua said in Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe that's what you need to do in your house. As for me and my family, guys, it's okay to be responsible for your family. It is actually what you're supposed to do. It's okay to be responsible for your family. It's okay to lead your family. We didn't have an option growing up. I had a drug problem. So I was drugged to church. I was drugged to youth camp. I was drugged to youth rallies. There was no negotiating in our house. We had, we were, we were, if the doors were open at church, we were there. If there was an activity, we were there. But so many times, other things take the place of God. So determine today in your heart that you'll do what they did. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of the idolatry. Let's get rid of the dependence on all these things. Because they're not going to do for us what he can do for us. They're not going to do for us what he will do for us. Put your faith and trust in God this year. 
See what happens. See what happens in your life. See what happens in your family's life. See what happens in this church. See what happens in our community. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful tonight to be in your house. Thank you so much for your word and what it means to us as it guides us and it teaches us and it helps us to grow and to know more about you and your character and your will for our own lives. God, in our country, we have so many idols. There's so many ways that we can be distracted. It's so easy to turn to something else rather than you. God, help us to realize that our one true focus needs to be you and you alone. Help us to experience that full surrender, not just in words, but in action. Help us to apply your word to our lives. God, we have a world that is hurting, that needs Christ. Help us to have the faith to, to, try, to put you first, because we can't guide ourselves, we can't lead ourselves without following you. We are simply blind. God, help this church. Help us to put the right foot forward this year and to follow you and to see your blessings in this place. Father, it's going to take dependence on you. It's going to take us trusting you. So help us tonight to trust you. The piano plays. If you'd like to do business in your seat, if you want to come to the front, <clears throat> let's take care of some things tonight. speaking to you about something. Maybe he's been speaking to you about it for a while. And you just haven't given it over yet. What's, what's in the way? What's stopping you? What is more important than God? Who can deliver you better than God? We're always seeking for answers. We're always seeking for deliverance. Maybe it's time we put our trust in the one that delivers. Let's just do one more verse. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. And Father, every time we get together, it's, it's, it's something special. Help us to leave differently tonight. Help us to leave putting our trust in you just a little bit more. <clears throat> Help us to have the faith to do what you've called us to do. And this year, as we face new challenges, we 
face new attacks from the devil. God, help us to rely on you. Help us to rely on you and you alone. Father, be with those that aren't with us that are sick and are hurting. We ask that you touch them and bring them back to us. We pray for those that are dealing with sorrow and trials, that you help them to find that peace that only you can give. Father, help us today. As we go our separate ways, help us today to trust in you. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, just a couple of announcements uh, this evening. One that I didn't mention this morning. Uh, the 13th of February, we have the snack attack here at the church. So the first, uh, 13th of February. So all the teens that are involved uh, remain after the service on the 13th. Um, and then we have the prayer meeting next Saturday night. Uh, so keep that on your mind and heart and even be praying up until then. But we'll meet here next Saturday night for the prayer meeting and then pray for the revival coming up on the 6th. So we have Brother Billy Ingram in. He's preached the word to us. So uh, there's a lot of attacks coming even still. Um, the devil will do anything to get us discouraged. So as we go our separate ways, keep those events in mind and uh, keep them in prayer. Keep our pastor in prayer. If he's not feeling well, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. And at this time, let's be dismissed. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm.